This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Chances are, if you're a millennial around my age, you've at one point in your life enjoyed a classic video game. The nostalgia of playing a retro-style pixel game just unlocks many warm memories and feelings. In this episode, I interviewed Sue Edisham, the lead developer and pixel artist for the upcoming indie hit, Berserk Boy, a game that is not only inspired by this golden age of video games, but seeks to pay homage to it as well. Welcome to Those Who Play Create, the podcast that explores the stories, ideas, and inspirations for some of the gaming industry's best. Today on the show, we have a very special episode. Uh, joining me all the way from Japan is the creator, lead dev, and artist for the soon-to-be hit indie game of 2022, Berserk Boy, Zhu Edishem. How you doing today? <laughs> Cheers for having me, mate. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks very much. Yes. For for you know, for everybody that's listening in, Zoo is live from Japan right now, and I am stateside. So uh the time zone difference between us while we're doing this interview is hilarious. <laughs> so I am drinking a lot of coffee, and I think it's it's like probably what close to the end of the, the work day for you? Yeah, it's actually only half four, so it's Really good for me, but not so good for you. So I appreciate that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. So before we get started on the interview, I just have a couple of quick like housekeeping items that I like to go over. Here at Those Who Play Create, we love to hear from our listeners about like the interviews I conduct, games that you would like me to cover, any general feedback on the show. So feel free to email me at thosewhoplaycreate at gmail.com and I'll make sure that I answer your questions in a timely manner. So now that that bit of housekeeping is out of the way, let's kick off the interview. Just to start, so Zoo, for those who are listening that might not be familiar with you or your work, could you give us a little bit of background on who you are, uh, how you got started in the industry, and you know how did you get to where you are today as a creator and a game dev? Yeah, uh, for sure. So I'm the lead developer and pixelized and animator at Berserk Boy Games, as you said. In terms of how I got into the industry, I was mainly just like an artist on projects, but I always made prototypes like in the background with game development tools for like as long as I could remember. So around three or four years ago, uh, I formed Berserk Boy Games and started Berserk Boy as like my first commercial title, like where I'm leading not just the art, but like uh, the design aspect too. So it's a pretty new one for me doing Berserk Boy. That's awesome. And so speaking of Berserk Boy, that will be our focus of this interview today, since like you mentioned, you spent the last few years working on it. So a quick synopsis for everybody who is not familiar on uh, the game you play is Kay, a young inexperienced rookie who's part of a resistance 
K is exposed to a mysterious orb energy and transformed into Berserk Boy. And he's got to use his newfound powers to defeat Dr. Genos and save the planet. So my first question is, you know, at first glance, while doing some early research for this episode, the one thing that I noticed is that the game borrows some inspiration from classic like retro style pixel art games. And it really puts a modern twist on those. In an article I actually read, you mentioned that the game was inspired by Sonic Colors and then various entries into the Mega Man franchise. So when doing early prototyping and creative work for Berserk Boy, what was it about this like style of retro gaming that was so appealing to you? Yeah, so like with Mega Man and Sonic, they're like my first memories of like video games in general. Like not just Sonic and Mega Man, like Pulse Man and Rocket Knight and just all like the Sega and early Nintendo games. Okay. But like, yeah, the decision to make it look like a game you can imagine on the Game Boy Advance or a Mega Drive was a, a design choice at the start of production. I just basically love how streamlined those games are. You know, like you can just pick up and play a Game Boy Advance game and a Mega Drive game. So like, yeah, I think I just naturally gravitated towards those projects as inspiration. And yeah, I just want to make a game like that where you can just pick it up, play it, rest through it and like have a great time. Yeah, and you get the feel for that just by checking it out. Like when I first saw it, my first impressions were I was like, this very much reminds me of Mega Man X, like in a very nostalgic way. I got those feelings right off the bat. So I'm super excited for the full release later this year. My next question, do you see Berserk Boys sort of paying homage to the classic era of gaming on like Sega and Super Nintendo? Yeah, like 100%. I'd say it leans more towards Sega and the Game Boy Advance, just because like those are the games that I just like really remember. I remember like really trying to make sure, like you said, like when you first look at it, that it visually looks like something you could imagine on those consoles. Yeah, just, but it's super important that like there's a lot of like modern quality of life changes in terms of like gameplay. So, you know, like the auto saves and like accessibility and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely a homage. Okay, that's cool. So, like, you know, as we mentioned, Berserk Boy was like heavily influenced by Sonic Colors and the Mega Man series, both games which in interviews you've said you've held to pretty high regards you know, having stated that they're both favorite franchises of yours. So my next question for you is, when creating a game like Berserk Boy, that in its own way, paying homage to like classic games of yesterday, what were some of the absolute must-have elements that needed to make it into the final game to preserve the nostalgia of a good 8-bit pixel-style game, in your opinion? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this answer is going to be like different for everyone. But one of the main things for me is definitely like just how it visually looks. You know, I think a lot of artists who work with pixel art reference older pixel art games. So if, like you said, if you feel that feeling of nostalgia when you look at it, and I feel that's something I always want to hear. And I like it when people say, oh, it reminded me of a Sega game, it reminded me of a Nintendo game. But like, one of the other main things is um, having that feeling of being able to pick up and play and not like a thousand daunting tutorials. Like you, you can put it down, you can pick it up and then you can actually like finish the game without feeling like, oh, I need to set aside 30 or 40 hours to complete this game. So nice and streamlined like the old games, I guess. Okay. And then on the other side of the coin, how do you ensure that, you know, Berserk Boy or... 
other uh, retro style projects you've worked on that have these heavy influences stay fresh while being appealing to both like newer and older gamers. So people that are very used to this, like, you know, they grew up with this, they, there's a nostalgia factor and then newer gamers who aren't as familiar. That's a really good question. Cause like, I actually think about this a lot when it comes to like pixel art as well, you know, a lot of young artists who have like no nostalgia attached to pixel art, like, you know what I mean? Like how are they liking the older stuff? I just don't get it. But in terms of video games and like getting a newer and older audience to play the games comfortably, I guess it's like we mentioned before, modern quality of life changes you know like no passwords to get your save files and like making sure the game is insanely unfair lots of qa accessibility options and i know a lot of games these days are like blending the two worlds like modern and retro so like eastwood is a new one that just recently came out that has like all that dynamic lighting with the 2d sprites and then like octopath traveler has the 3d backgrounds and the 2d pixel art so like yeah, I don't know. I guess people are just like keeping it spicy, but still paying respects accordingly. I guess they're just like taking what's good from modern games and putting it in the older games. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, now that you can do something about like, obviously, you love the games that you grew up with. Everybody holds those games to high regard. It's like you have the opportunity now if you could make certain tweaks here and there, you know, that's what you're going to do mm-hmm. now. Yeah, 100%. So it's more things like, everything in the background. That's pretty cool. I've always honestly just personally wondered about that because I myself am not a game developer. So I wonder like once you get, you know, once you get that art style and everything, like what else goes into the background Mm -hmm. to keep it, to keep it fresh. But no, that makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of cool to think about just like when it comes to that, the nostalgia factor is, I guess, for older gamers is that art that you see and then the thing that makes it appealing to a wider audience are probably like, you know, these quality of life. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. Yeah, I, I still think about it a lot. I don't understand how, like some of the biggest games at the moment, like, I don't know, like Undertale and stuff like that. Like how, you know what I mean? Like it's so old school looking, but it just does so well. So yeah, it's just cool. I think it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the only other place, <laughs> the only other place outside of uh games that i see a lot of pixel art now at least online or nfts so <laughs> oh god oh god no it's another co- that's a whole other conversation <laughs> right so that's why i'm like maybe that's maybe that is how like the younger audience is just <laughs> oh dear i hope not oh they see a character like oh it's a character from nft inspired by nft art no i don't like it yeah i can't even I can't even begin to uh, understand NFTs at all. I'm totally aged out of that. But like, I have been seeing a lot of pixel art NFTs and I'm like... Yeah, same. <laughs> so now I honestly, like side tangent, sometimes I don't know when I'm looking online if someone is like showing game development art. You know, oh. I, look, <laughs> I look at like your Twitter account and you post your pixel art and it's showing the animation and everything. And then I'll see someone else and I'm like, is this person making a game or are they just selling? <laughs> and, yeah, the lines are blurred. And now there's like NFT gaming too. Like that's like blowing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's definitely interesting, but I have no idea about it. <laughs> I'm shaking my head thinking about this NFT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's super interesting. And, you know, this is probably a great place for a break. So we'll be back in one second. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So kind of moving on to like the game development and some of your creative processes. So one thing I always, you know, like to do on the show um, is talk with devs about their creative process, mainly because I'm dealing with smaller studios and solo developers that tend to be a bit scrappy in order to bring their visions to life. So my question for you is, you're no exception to this. Is like, as the head of a small but mighty studio, you wear many hats, you know, while completing this project specifically, from being the lead developer to the pixel artist and 2D animator for Berserk Boy, it must feel like you're getting pulled in a million different directions. As someone who is on both the creative and technical sides of this project, how do you find the balance in regards to big creative ideas that might slow the project down and less exciting technical requirements, you know, that add a little bit of that polish or quality of life and help build out the overall gaming experience? That's another awesome question. I mean, mean, it's something that really goes under the rug, I think, as well, when people talk about how games are made, like, I feel like cutting and like the pre-planning, knowing about your scope is so important to actually like make your game. So like, yeah, I guess with adding stuff in, it's super fun to just keep adding stuff in when you're prototyping. But uh, with us, we always know we have deadlines and milestones we have to hit during development. So like, we need to like talk to ourselves. Uh, hey, is this crucial to add into the game, or can we just like add that crazy effect in later? So. Um, yeah, I guess we. I guess it's super important to focus on the core game first, and then I'd say it's best. It's the best way to deal with things, and having like a well documented plan of attack in your design documents is what helps us like stay on track with and not going like totally out of scope and like feature creeping every day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I guess scope is just what helps us stay on track. We have a scope. We have a like a milestone deadline we have weeks planned out and if it we focus more on the core gameplay than like too much juice because it's just like yeah we can add that in at the end but we can't like we can't just make a bit of a game at the end when it's too late i guess right so do you find you are the person that keeps that balance going for the entire team like you're making sure that there's not that creep or um do you ever find yourself like really being pulled by like you know the the creative side or the technical side oh it's it's so bad because i want to say like yeah i am that guy who keeps things on track but then it's like i'll be that guy for like two months and then like i'll have a great i'll have an idea and i'll be like all right we're doing this and it's just like a bit of both you know 
obviously you have everyone has cool ideas right and it's just like i wonder what it'd look like but yeah i do have to like rein it in or it just it'll just go on forever like uh i worked on the game before and it was going for like four years and we didn't get out like the prototype phase so oh, wow <laughs> yeah so we just like learned like just stop adding features after a certain point yeah there was actually like the first episode I interviewed a uh, two-person game studio in Canada and their creative director. He was like, yeah, I'm normally just throwing out ideas all the time. He's like, <laughs> I like literally can't stop. And the other uh, member of the team is his wife. And he's like, if it wasn't for her, I would probably like just have a game that was loaded down with features that were like incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> So my next question is, like, are there any elements that won't make it into the final release, whether those are, you know, technical or creative that you really had your heart set on? Yeah, there are definitely things that that won't either like they're completely cut or we just like tweaked it a bit, just like fit in. Those ideas aren't like game changing. They're just like little things here and there. Like if I had it my way, I would have had 25 more bosses or something or something crazy, but it's just not doable. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, nothing too major. I feel like I feel like it did go well, but if any if anyone tells you they got everything in, they're lying. <laughs> oh yeah, that that is honestly what I've I've come to to understand from from talking to so many creatives. It's like <laughs> there's always a laundry list of things that just don't make it yeah. into the final project. You ask us questions making me sad thinking about all the stuff that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard I've, I've seen some devs who are like, yeah, I have like whole notebooks full of just ideas that didn't make it into a game that, <laughs> that I could make another game out of. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always good. I guess you can take those ideas into like future games or updates or whatever, but yeah, painfully true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so and so the the next thing I want to move on, and I think move on to, and I think it's like a very defining element of this style of game is the music. And so, you know, as a, a lover of Indian retro style games, like I said, the element that stands out most to me is the music that you know, pops up in this game in these types of games. It's like this high energy, like chip tune tracks that like really set the mood and make you as a player feel like you're the hero of the story, battling your way to the end of the game. So my question for you is one of the things that really stands out in Berserk Boy is the retro inspired soundtrack from uh, T. Lopez, who produced the um, Sonic Mania soundtrack. So how did you come to meet a composer from one of your favorite franchises? Because I thought that was interesting when I was doing some research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. T's amazing, right? He's so good. <laughs> well, I mean, he's really good on like Berserk Boy as well, and it's super fun to work with him. But how we met is pretty, pretty not that uh, extravagant. It was it was like, uh, it was on social media. We, we just had like a small back and forth on like a picture or a video of Berserk Boy that was floating around on the internet. Uh, he said something like, this game looks cool. And I was like, yo, I love your music. And then like after a bit of chatting, I was like, hey, do you want to work on Berserk Boy? <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> just like, you know what? I'll might as well just ask. That's it, really. That's awesome, though. Like, <laughs> you know, how many people can say like they've come across, you know, someone who's worked on a just like a very nostalgic and very important franchise to them. Mm -hmm. And that person is also just like, yeah, I'll work on your project too. 
Yeah, it's super cool. Like that is the ultimate collab. Like just like as a side side hobby. I talk about music a lot on the show too because like I do a lot of music production. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And, and it's like this is just like kind of that ultimate internet collab that I think a lot of pr- like a lot of producers fantasize about. Like, oh, there's going to be this like major artist that I'm familiar with who somehow stumbles upon my uh, my music and then collaborates <laughs> with me. And I'm like this. <laughs> kind of happened that way so that's that's really awesome (laughs) yeah it's kind of (laughs) true and like honestly just just the music and the the trailer to the game will get you hooked so like anybody listening right now pause the episode (laughs) and go and watch just like the the trailer for this game the music is so good and it fits so well like you get that nostalgic feeling right away yeah for sure and so after after beating T, was there like a specific mm-hmm. sound that you wanted him to try on the project? And and how did you both kind of come to an agreement on the final music and selection mm-hmm. for the game? So like at this at the start, we'd we would just like chat about like references and like the general direction of the game. And uh I'd send him like, oh, this is the current narration, like this was happening in this scene. And then like I didn't I didn't actually really know what to expect, but T would just be like, Oh, let me whip you up something. And then I'd just be like, yes, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not normally like that with, with work. Um, it, it's normally like, I want to say no a couple of times first, but yeah, T, T just, yeah, he's really good with this style of music and just, yeah, he's been doing his own thing really. Like, just like a bit of direction with artwork or a bit of direction with like the the mood or like the law of what's going on at the moment. And then yeah, T will just like create his own own track and it'll be great, which is Really good to work with, yeah. It's it's low stress. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. It's just like yeah, yeah. It's like oh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and so, did he ever send like? I don't even know if this is possible in a game, but did he ever send too much music, and you found that you had to like choose between some really good tracks, or was everything he did in there? Oh, <laughs> you know, you say that there are there were some things that not because of the music but because of how the game shifted we cut some like a little scenes out and we yeah there have been a bit mo- a few of those moments but 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 he is doing like remix tracks as well of each of the stages so i think it'll make up for it so it's uh it's it's no problem you, you won't be missing out on any t lopes bangers on nah. in berserk boy <laughs> it's nah. all good nice nice <laughs> so will there also be a soundtrack release with the game too uh, yeah, yeah, there'll be a digital soundtrack, I think. I don't know about physical yet, but yeah, definitely there'll be digital soundtrack. Okay, awesome. And so like kind of kind of heading towards the end of the interview, I've got two final questions for you. And these <laughs> are the questions that I normally like to ask anyone that does come on the pod cast because uh, like i said i i work with um i interview a lot of like either solo or smaller studios so what advice would you have for aspiring indie developers and creatives looking to like blaze their own path in the industry mm-hmm. is um, the first question i have for you so i'd say just number one is like the cliche don't give up and if you're feeling like you're burnt out take a break um I think something important to do is reach out to content creators or game developers that you, you're a fan of. Um, 
and do a lot of like research in your spare time to stay inspired because like that helps you like keep the spark alive right do a lot of things that involve you not sat hunched over your computer all day because that's also like a way to kill your drive so like be healthy with your work i guess and don't overscope your project (laughs) (laughs) just don't overscope it take it simple and yeah that's it really just yeah all right okay um and then my final question for you is um you know now that you're on the brink of releasing this passion project uh what's up next for you in your studio and are you currently working on any other game ideas uh yeah actually we are we started concepting some real cool stuff uh like and i started making some early artwork of the next project whenever i get a chance but like uh, you know, messing with some design ideas, but literally nothing's finalized at the moment. It, it's literally going from like every direction, you know, like yeah. maybe you should make a, a shmup, maybe you should make a RPG. Yeah, it's like that. It's really everywhere at the moment. So, Okay. So we will be seeing some some more work from the studio in the, in the future though. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So thank you for coming on the show. Right now is the the portion of the show where, like, please plug all of your work. Tell people where they can uh, play Berserk Boy when it comes out, where to get your discords, you know, join your discord mm-hmm. server, the whole nine yards. <laughs> oh, cheers, mate. And uh, also, thanks for having me. I've had a lot of fun on it. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Well good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Zoo. I'm working on Berserk Boy. And if you'd like to help and support us, you can follow us on Twitter at Berserk Boy Game. Uh, something that really helps us out is wishlisting on Steam. Uh, we have a demo at the moment. Uh, you can give that a whirl. Um, also, we have a Discord page. Uh, that's called Berserk Boy Games. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. This was very fun. I look forward to playing the game. Cheers, mate. And with that, we've wrapped up this episode of Those Who Play Create. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you choose to listen. Stay up to date with the Lore Party Podcast Network by connecting with us on Instagram and Twitter and Twitch at Lore underscore Party. If you're in the game industry and would like to appear on the show, shoot me a message on Twitter at produced by underscore LK. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.